Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there, welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And I'm on my own today interviewing Denusia um, from School of Mothers. And so Denusia is an entrepreneur, author and mother of 10. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and also sober and, you know, a woman that is really kind of thriving in her life um and really inspiring so we're really really grateful that she's given us some time to talk about her new book noise and what school of mothers is and just you know what sort of sobriety has brought to her life and her journey so hi denicia how are you doing hi hi i'm really well thanks now is this a good moment to tell you that my name is denusia did I say it wrong? Everybody does. No, I mean, listen, I I spend my whole life, like lots of people, even actually I was talking with Vicky Broadbent the other day and she was saying that she gets called Vicky Broadband. So I'm like... <laughs> well, you did, well, you did quite well then, you know. <laughs> I've been called Dolores Delicious. I mean, seriously. But it's really funny. You know, I, I sometimes wonder, do I mention anything? Do I? Yeah, do I not? of course. <laughs> And it was interesting because I was um, recording with uh, a lady in the States last week and Mm -hmm. she is called Camille. Um, But because obviously I live in France, um, you know, I said Camille. Um, And so there was a little bit of a moment she was just like, I mean, it's really cute, but uh, my name. (laughs) (laughs) But it is one of those things, isn't it? I've had friends who've called me Denusia for years. I'm like, oh. You know, it's been three years. Yeah. I probably need to just correct you. <laughs> it's never a good moment. So it's yeah. Danusha. Yeah, okay. Danusha. Anyway, oh. hi. <laughs> it's lovely to be here. Um, so we were just chatting before. You're in the midst of finishing a book, writing across, uh, sort of moving across country mm. and being a mom and, you know, a lot of stuff, right? So if you are, the, the, you know, talking about what we can achieve in motherhood, you're quite a good um, figurehead for that. <laughs> it's a bit mad, actually. It's a bit yeah. mad at the moment. Yes, I do. I do, I guess, juggle quite a lot. <laughs> Yes, yeah. I do definitely. I mean, I, I have a, you know, I founded a, a big business 20 years ago and that consultancy is my my main professional life. And then add on a couple of podcasts and you know, writing books and running school for mothers uh, is, yeah, it's a lot. Oh yes, and the, the children. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's the children themselves. Yes. And what what age ranges do they go from? So the oldest is Oh, hilariously, my my older children have <laughs> we had it with the Telegraph a few weeks ago when they they did a piece on the book and myself and my children because obviously they they like to know ages just like you've said. Yeah. And um and I was like, "Okay, so um, you know, uh, nobody minds, do they?" <laughs> this is a version of my consent conversation and they're like uh yeah I so I asked them separately obviously right and each of my older ones like no no actually no I was like oh come on oh interesting <laughs> yes so my older ones um are older 
Yeah. And and so it's, yeah, it's less it's less to do with me who's absolutely thrilled to to say how old they are. But that but actually, so I've got older ones who are adults and gone, um, you know, grown and flown, living in their own homes, um, university, that kind of thing. Mm. And so I've got teens and I've got uh triplets of eight. Right. So yes, they they actually straddle pretty well everything you can think of from <laughs> from thinking about relationships and mm. all of that stuff through to angst uh anxiety literal mm. um I've got one doing her A-levels literally this week uh and next week and and you know through to smaller ones primary ones that's interesting and I love but I love that the respecting of consent I love that you know I can mm-hmm. I just think that's a brilliant way for us to think about our we say our kids but they're just human beings that are of a younger age so yes yeah okay so we always start by talking about your sober journey a little bit so um can you tell us what brought you to the decision to go alcohol free oh yes well I I didn't have alcohol till I was about well certainly in my mm, I don't know mid-20s maybe so I mean the essence of it is that I was late to alcohol in the first place I would say that's quite late. Yeah. And I never reaped, so I never really did the getting kind of paralytically drunk as it, well, in fact, I didn't do any of that as a teenager and at all. And so I really started drinking a bit later. And then by then it was already home, home drinking mm-hmm. rather than going out drinking. So that had already happened. And that that stage, you know, is a very I think that is quite an important point. And so. Also, because I had children, I found that, you know, I was doing that habit thing of, oh, this is a this is for me. This is this is, you know, didn't almost like denoting the early evening. And I I think I had a a six o'clock cutoff, 6.30. I never went earlier. Um, unless, of course, I said, because I have Swedish roots, I'd say, well, it is six o'clock in, in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, but that was incredibly rare because I just gave myself that boundary. But I would really um, drink. Um, I mean, not persistently, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed uh, wine and particularly sparkling wine and a couple of years ago uh, I'd actually had a nine-month period where I just went oh I just really don't want to drink anything and that was based on that first little foray and experiment into not drinking was more based on oh I think this is getting out of hand I didn't think it was I knew I wasn't addicted in the sense of wow I can't control myself I have to drink in the morning which I've never done of you know that kind of thing I didn't I wasn't in that position I just knew that I was having to consider a lot I was kind of how could I put it I if something if somebody wanted to do something like a I don't know a webinar at 9 30 at night 10 11 which is ridiculous but I do a lot of work in America with American audiences I might think oh well I'll I'll have had a drink so it was on my radar and so that's when the first time I thought "Mm, you know I don't like this much I need to just take a look at this I took a look took nine months off really loved that 
got together with a new partner who was an avid drinker of red wine. And I, for some, I, I actually accidentally, I was given some at a funeral, didn't like it. And then kind of succumbed. And, and that was silly. I mean, I, I mean that in a really compassionate way. It's, it, it, it's fine. It was what it was. And then a few years later, I just woke up and thought, I'm done with this. I'm actually done with it. I want, I want to experiment with being done with it. So it wasn't a, I'll never do this again. It wasn't that kind of extreme. It was just like, I really want to experiment again with this. I'm not sure that this is doing me any good. And so I didn't tell anybody. I didn't do anything extreme. I didn't do, you know, I didn't make an announcement with my friends. I said nothing to to anybody apart from myself that I'm going to experiment with this. And that was it. And it continued and it and it will continue. It's the way I love to live. Yeah, and I love that. And I'm I'm sure it's gonna resonate hugely with our audience which is kind of you know what we we're starting to use the terminology of like a gray area drinker you know it's like Mm. not at that rock bottom moment of you know heavy dependence but not that occasional you know use every now and again um without having any kind of conversation about it it's the kind of mental chatter of like should I shouldn't I and the habit of it of you know marking the day the transition seeing it as a treat um and also Mm -hmm. having a lot of agency to be asking questions and going I'm not actually sure whether I like this very much you know and it's such a beautiful moment to be able to explore it because you you can make changes but the difficulty is obviously is we live in such a sort of alcocentric culture that everyone else starts you know judging questioning putting you in a box and you have as you said that that sort of moment where you're with people or a new partner and it just goes oh this might just not work it's it doesn't belong kind of thing to for me not to drink alcohol um but I love that kind of I just want to experiment with being done with it and what does that Mm. feel like and um that's such a beautiful way to kind of approach it really well I'd got rid of the that partner and Mm. it had you know I don't mean that that was something that with with my now journey with not drinking but couple of years after I did and it and it was actually around his drinking Mm. that it wasn't something that I wanted you know it's having big ramifications in his life and and potentially in mine it it already was Uh, and and I I knew that that wasn't the version of myself that I wanted but it it was definitely in that gray area of monitoring myself that Mm. that that negative chatter and I didn't I didn't want that constant chatter and wanted to see. So a couple of years ago, when I actually said to myself again with this experiment, I wanted to see who I would reveal because it wasn't like I was thoroughly veiled by alcohol, but it was part and parcel of my lifestyle. It was very much part of my life and and it was part of my social life, my domestic life, my shopping life, my, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, my, my commute life, my, you know, the, the 
the buying of a of a prosecco in uh, Victoria Station on the way home from a hard commuting, you know, a hard consulting day, a, a fantastic consulting day. It didn't matter which. It was. It was. You know, I'll, I'll have one of those little mini mini ones. Everyone else is doing it. Let's just crack open one of those, smile at each other with a plastic, you know, little cup, and say, huh, "Had a good day in the city, eh?" Yeah. But that just veers, and our tolerance, doesn't it? It just mm. gets higher and higher. And I didn't want having having actually given up a relationship on account of alcohol, not mine, but his. Mm. I didn't want. I didn't want them to ironically be veering into that myself. And that was, that was, that would be really silly. So. Yeah. And, um, and I, I mean, Kate always describes it as kind of like, you know, it's like bindweed, you know, around your life. Mm -hmm. Like it's in every single situation as you're describing. Um, And so how did you start to untangle that and to be able to, you know, live your life without alcohol in it because I think people fear so much like you know okay I can do this especially coming out of lockdown but it's like but I can't do a wedding without alcohol or I can't do an office party so how did you go about sort of yeah unpeeling that bindweed that was around your whole life yeah I found I found the sentence I don't do that very powerful I when I was shopping, I would, it's a little bit, it's a bit like looking at, for me, I don't drink milk. So I buy milk for my children, um, for my family, because they drink milk. Uh, but I don't do it. So I've always gone, oh, I don't do that. I look at cigarettes in the in the supermarket behind the counter, but I know I don't do that. So I just say, oh, yeah, I don't do that, do I? That's not for me. And and so it seems it sounds like a really simple uh, technique, but for me it's very powerful. I I walk down, I walk down the aisles and aisles and aisles and aisles full of alcohol. I'm I'm curious about why UK supermarkets are virtually like I don't know a quarter full. Yeah. I, I mean, some of them are a quarter full with alcohol. I, I've I, I'm at a stage where I I don't look at it and think oh keep away Denise you don't go there because actually I never felt that way it was almost just like a habit I get up I wash my teeth I brush my hair I make the bed oh six o'clock I have Prosecco you know it was like that I had to reinstall my thought process around what I do so for a little while I didn't you know I I have other drinks at six but what's really interesting is so for me I didn't do substitute alcohol as in like a you know an alcohol free wine because I felt that the ceremony of uncorking Prosecco uh, was part of my ritual Mm. you know it it felt celebratory it felt attached to my party denusha it felt you know, it was for me rather than uh, actually. So if I did that with a alcohol-free one, I'd be doing the same thing. And so I didn't. I didn't want to do that because who's to say that at some point, why? Why would I just not crack on to 
the real thing. Mm. So for me, I, I haven't done that. And in fact, we did have some beautiful elderberry, um, a, a Scottish elderberry drink that's absolutely amazing sparkling. It's all fruit. It's wonderful. Um, and they they are literally, the, the bottles are like a champagne bottle, Prosecco, sparkling wine. And I did open those. I had no problem because I did. But at first I was concerned. I'd say my behaviour, uh, breaking the habit of the six o'clock, seven o'clock, whatever it was, the evening was, wasn't too difficult for me. Uh, I didn't have too much angst. I just, I just told myself, that's not for you. You, you're doing something different. Tanusha, you're doing this. And, and yes, that's for them. <laughs> it's almost like I needed to distance and just go, yes, that's for other people. And what's good for me is this. But I did find it was a difficulty with friendships. Yeah. And I think that 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 really surprised me and I was a bit sad about that, actually, as well. I, I was, you know, not through and through, not everybody, but there was a couple of girlfriends who found it very, very challenging. Me, me not drinking. Challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good to talk about. Right. Because I think, mm. um, you know, it is it is a fear and there is again, because, you know, the quarter of the supermarkets filled with booze because it's so normalized you know yeah. there are people that can't see past that kind of normative be behavior and and that yes. can feel very hurtful and you know that's kind of your the fear that you don't want realized is realized you know you're like oh I need to belong oh now I don't but you know there there are people that and I guess it's a good indicator of people that really kind of matter um and love you sort of intrinsically um and then I mean did you jo join any groups did you what did you read books about being alcohol free or did you just sort of do it all by yourself uh no I did it all by myself I didn't I didn't join any groups I as a result of being host of school for fathers podcast I often talk to men mm. who are either sober or have you know have have lost homes lost families lost you know they really have uh hit rock bottom in some way uh, because of their drinking or drugs or some addictive um you know behavior mm. and so you know that's on my radar because of that but I in fact didn't really tell anybody Mm. I really didn't. It only came up when obviously my family knew. Although now if you ask my triplets, they'll say, oh, mummy doesn't drink alcohol. They're really, really surprised that mummy ever drank alcohol. Whereas my teenagers know that mummy used to have, mummy mummy used to go on courses. <laughs> mummy used to go on champagne courses and, you know, it was a serious hobby, but not from a kind of drinking perspective, from a, I was interested in the mm. way that wine's made and, you know, and, and, and the different regions. And, and so I, I, they, they have a different memory. And they're actually, one of mine looked at me yesterday and said, do you know how proud I am that you don't drink anymore, mummy? And she doesn't drink. She doesn't drink. And so two of my two of my young daughters don't drink at all. And that's been fascinating to watch. 
Um, one of my sons is a very well-known mixologist and uh, is a judge on the World Mixology Awards. So, I mean, his his career is in alcohol uh, and, and, and the alcohol industry. And he doesn't, he's not a huge drinker, but he's, and he drank very late. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, was, I was wrapping some of his, his very expensive, you know, priceless uh, alcohol up yesterday, thinking, wow, I actually, I'm in a home with very rare vodkas, mm. you know, I, that I just, I would, I mean, just, I, I'd forgotten they were there. It's really interesting. I just don't even think of them there. But I did have to think about these friendships and it was interesting yeah I resonate hugely to that I mean because my my husband's French obviously so you know we have a wine cellar in our house um Mm. he has a I don't know maybe a 60 bottle collection of whiskey um you know and and probably maybe I don't know going on for 500 bottles of fine experience wine you know expensive wines or whatever but it's true you just get to the like I forget that they're there and I was looking for something the other day and I opened the cupboard to the whiskey collection and I was like oh weird <laughs> why, yeah. why, would you, why would you do that you know um and I have to say that he he doesn't I mean rarely touches sort of spirits now because I think you develop an understanding of what as a partner or as a friend mm. a, a good friend of someone that um has stopped drinking you develop a different understanding and look of the lens through alcohol and so he's a bit like mm, you know that's really strong <laughs> probably won't mm. touch much of that you know in, in the future so um tell us a, about your book noise and you know the kind of motherhood conversation because obviously when Kate and I started this podcast we were looking you know there were lots of podcasts in the states about sobriety um, and there was a lot that were about rock bottom there wasn't a lot about this kind of area of kind of early intervention or gray area Um, but also you know the American conversation was very different to the way that we talk about things and so we set Mm -hmm. it up to have an honest chat about being mums and being stressed and um, having difficulties and challenges um, but being sober and how sober being sober had changed our life for the better and and we had developed change grown and you know we've written a book we're writing another book you know things we've moved we've progressed Mm -hmm. um, and so I was really interested when I saw your book you know about changing the narrative around motherhood um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about the premise of the book and what can readers expect by it? Well, I was originally asked to write a book that was much more about juggling career and kids. And I can do that. And um, except that at the time when I was in these discussions with publishers, that they were very keen for me to do this kind of nuts and bolts. uh, How do you do that kind of thing? And as much as my heart was um, extraordinarily grateful for the interest, actually, I was like, no, they're missing the point. Yes, I know that needs talking about, but there's something much deeper. And so I had to take a little bit of time 
um, and actually not drinking ha helped enormously to do that because I wasn't also battling, uh, you know, negative self-talk about myself, you know, obviously self-talk, um, but also like the recoveries or, you know, feeling a bit yuck, all that stuff that is might be minor. It doesn't have to be extreme, but I had a lot more energy for it. So I, I began realizing, and it was, it was a holiday in Scotland uh, on a tiny island that's actually Vanessa Branson's island. And uh, we, I, took, I drove all the way from the South Coast up to the Outer Hebrides with the kids, not all of them, but a lot of them, um, to this Swallowers and Amazons, no Wi-Fi, no cars, no anything, uh, two weeks. And the silence there was extraordinary and also quite troubling with lots of children and no Wi-Fi. So, <laughs> but I did. It was sounding take, really idyllic. And then I was like, oh, but with kids. <laughs> yeah. But with kids. So, and I was drinking. Yeah. So mm. I, I was still in my Prosecco. So I took, interesting, calculating how many bottles I needed. Yeah. Needed. Note the word needed. Mm. Uh, not wanted, needed. And I, 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 because I felt like, oh, I need to get that amount because I can go to Fort William, you know, and oh, I had to think about it. And so fast forward to first lockdown and the total silence where I live in the South Downs, absolute silence. The roads were silent. No, no, I live in a, actually, ironically, in a vineyard. And <laughs> I couldn't make it up really. <laughs> but by that time, no, no drink at all in my life. Um, and I, the silence was what hit me. And I was thinking about the silence and I was thinking of the reverse noise. And I was thinking, well, all the things that I want to write about are about the noise that we keep being told as mothers have to be present in motherhood. It's as if they're inevitabilities, they're the gospel, they're the, the truth, you know, there's this, so I wrote a, a, a Bible about, it's, it's like the size of a Bible, you know, it's been called a pink Bible of motherhood, so it's like this, this Bible that has these truths that I unpack, because they've endured from those older children that refused to be you know, aged through through to my now, they're the same blooming narratives. Yeah. And and if you're a new mother now, or you've got a three-year-old or a five-year-old, you could you could be in a position where you're thinking wherever you are, oh my God, this is so new. You know, it's it it's it's only just now it's happening. Whereas I can look and go, no, 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 no. It's the same enduring narratives that I've seen with my first four boys, with my next four daughters, with because I've had 11, my, you know, my, my, uh, each little section of my family, uh, these just are enduring. So I took them apart. And what I didn't want to do was I didn't want to take these enduring truths apart and then reassemble, reassemble them and tell mothers how to do things. Because actually that's the problem. All yeah. of this noise is that someone somewhere is telling you a seven step formula of how you ought to be as a woman and a mother. And I'm sick of it. So one of those is actually the idea that the noise says mothers must be selfless. 
and the which is less of self and that we've got to sacrifice ourselves so i take that on and part of that chapter in fact is about self-care and how the idea of alcohol it's not exclusively about alcohol but i certainly certainly mention it and how the idea of alcohol has been collapsed into mummies treats as you said earlier mm. you know the thing that we keep for ourselves the thing that we lean into to keep us going through this hellish demanding wonderful glorious experience of raising our children and how actually that's takes mothers down yeah. it doesn't make us more of ourselves it makes us it all feeds into this selflessness less of ourselves so i do i do actually write a bit about alcohol but it's not in a chapter on its own. Um, I write about guilt. I write about how the noise says that every mother has to feel guilty. Uh, how mothers, the noise says mothers have to make our children happy. Mm. That it's our job. It's our responsibility. If our children aren't happy, then it's on us. And, and actually, even more so, if they're not happy, uh, it's on us and we shouldn't be happy either. Um, and, and so I take that on and, and, and uh, explore where that's come from and actually how different women in different social locations are, are or are not, how what their relationship to those, these pillars are. And so, for instance, the reason that I was uncomfortable about doing a kids and career juggling how to do it type of book is because that's the territory of white women. Because mm. that is not the territory of every mother. That isn't. I'm a white, privileged, educated woman. Yeah, a lot of my life has been, oh my goodness, I've got to juggle this. Oh my goodness, I've. how do I be a fantastic mother and explore my potential as well? But for other sections of um, you know, our, our communities, that's not the case. It's a given that you've got to go work and that you don't see your children, that actually it's a luxury. So self-care is a, is revolutionary for black mothers. Mm. I, I didn't want to collude with those notions that that actually motherhood is white. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? And, so, and, the, and the, the, you know best, right? So it's oh, like, you know, they're yes. like, yes, do this. And, and, and I mean, that's been something we've been talking a lot in our group about this kind of toxic positivity or this yes. kind of you know this um self-development revolution and mm. yeah how sort of a how whitewashed it is and, and b how um it neglects the individual experience of you know caring for carers and what that yes. looks like you know um I mean, we talked about kind of the complex needs of having neurodiverse kids or, mm. you know, yeah, poverty or um, being a single parent and all these different dynamics mm. and complexities um, that and, and also the vulnerability of that group. I mean, we were talking in a, in a meeting about kind of alcohol um, prevention and working with services but there's a lack of conversation about, well, if if a mum is a single mum, you know, one of her biggest fears is losing her kids. So, you know, when we go into these meetings and they say, well, yeah, there's child protection issues. And it's like, 
well, what about the mum protection <laughs> issues? Because she is trying her best to protect her children in the only way that she knows how, but yes. she's not accessing services because she's terrified. Of... Well, she'll be too exposed. Yeah. So I look at I look at some of the alcohol memoirs that I really love. And I and I won't name them because I, I just feel it's not really very useful to kind of point a finger, yeah. at, at, you know, at individuals. But as a, as a trend, what I'm seeing is that there's a lot of white middle class, of which I am, by the way. So I'm, I'm pointing to, to women like myself yeah. who, who are able, they're in a position to be able to say I did drugs I did you know alcohol this is what I did this is the terrible state I got into and their mothers there are other sections uh, you know of of women there are other other kinds you know I mean I literally they wouldn't dare to do that because their vulnerability would be acute and and so that privilege means that that we mustn't, we mustn't look at this in a kind of, well, take these four steps and you can tell everyone everything. No, mm. no, you, no, you really can't. And in, in part, my, my silence, I am a single mother, my, my silence in part as a white middle-class woman um, of means actually still meant that I keep quiet and keep kept quiet. Mm. I, 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 and I will say the word even, therefore, in my situation, I, with all the privileges that I just named, I've been quiet because, because I know women who've had their children yeah. taken away. I know them. Mm. I, I know an ex-solicitor, a former solicitor who has lost her children. So I, you know, this is a, this is a very real danger. And, and so I look at, I, I was, I look at and listen to some women who talk about alcohol and, and they're, let's say they position them, not me, but they position them as antics. And I, you know, they, they laugh mm-hmm. about them. And I, and I just, I, I'm both very admiring of their enormous bravery to, to you know, face things, and also worried. <laughs> I get worried. Mm. I used to work for a probation service, you know. So I'm, I'm actually coming at it from a professional perspective as well. Of I actually really do know how damaging that can be. Yeah, and again, yeah. it's like bringing it out. So it, it doesn't mean that the solution is them staying silent. It's, no. it's about changing the systems to understand the complex role of being a parent and a mother and a carer and providing you know adequate services in order for people to yeah cope and be supported um exactly yeah um and I love that you use the sort of your the silence and the noise as a kind of of a way to explain this um Mm. it it's very powerful um for sure thank you and so what do you hope for kind of motherhood moving forward and and yeah what did you hope would happen with the book in terms of the conversation changing I I want to make sure that that mothers realize that actually it doesn't have to be this way Mm. that it is just noise it's only noise and that 
like any noise, it's not a static noise. It can be, we can be a choice of which bits of the noise we listen to and which bits we say, nah, not so much, thank you. I'm going to dial that down because mm. it's always going to be there. The, the point is, it's not like you can just go, you know, put your hands over your ears and go, no, 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 I'm not listening. Because <laughs> it, that isn't possible. Mm. Because it is here. It's very, it's it's driven into our culture that there there's this notion of what acceptable, perfect, ideal motherhood is. Again, it differs for different different mothers. Mm. But the fact is, we have we have an ideal. Uh, you know, there's an ideal notion, and we can we can navigate that according to our on our own terms with great care and measure and enjoyment. You know, we can thrive in that. And the second thing was that I I do not want in a in a, a decade two decades to be listening to young women who have gone to university or gone to college or started a job and then said well of course once I have children that's it isn't it my life's over I have to devote myself to my children and maybe when they're 20 when they've had their life I can start thinking about me again I'm just so sick of that yeah we are teaching our our young our youngsters our new next generations that self-sacrifice for our females is is okay we're role modeling it mm. and I'm, I, I just I'm a stand for that not being necessary we don't need it we you know it is not making you know it's not it's not really making many people happy there's a lot of women saying no to having children not because they don't want the children it's because they don't want the conditions that are brought with being a, you know that come with being a mother um, and you know I talk to them all the time about that it's why I have women on the school for mothers podcast that aren't mothers because I want to hear you know what's that about yeah because I was thinking about that the, the kind of you know even in the, the female experience of that that you should be a mother um, yes. you know and and the guilt and the shame and the feelings of whether if that's a choice not to be a mother you know that that is a, another element of noise that we're put upon um, but again you know being being a mother because there's part of you that wants that but that not being your all and everything I mean you know yeah. that was certainly my experience because you know I had a good job I was you know had a career job I was in a university you know and then I, I was not managing and I was not coping and so I was like okay well you know what what's the one thing that I want to be good at more than anything and it was like to be a good mum so it's like okay solution I'll be a stay-at-home mum you know I won't have a job um mm -hmm. and that that you know I had a breakdown being you know in as a career woman mother and then I had a breakdown being a stay-at-home mum you know mother mm -hmm. because neither of those sort of satisfied me you know I needed both I needed well you needed yourself yeah sure. I needed to be needed able you. to be creative intellectually stimulated mm. um have purpose in my life and also be a mum <laughs> yes it's it's not it's not the either or is it it's and it's it's yeah. being able to be yourself 
and and so that's that's actually the first truth that's that's the first pillar Hmm. the noise says motherhood is our calling so that by by nature I would deal with well what if what if you don't feel it's your calling in a culture that says the very pinnacle of of femininity and womanhood is you know having a child that you're not a real woman until you've had a child yeah and and so you know I have friends who don't have um who've chosen either to chosen not to have children or can't have children or for a whole range of reasons um or childless or child free depending on which one we want and people say to them oh so you would understand because you don't have a family and they'll say actually I do have a family I have a family don't have children yeah so our culture is just, I mean, it's so punishing to women in many ways. Um, really, really is. So, so yeah, that's, that, that's, that's what it's about. And um, it's, so it's, it's got part memoir in it. It's, you know, it, it has sections where I offer my experience through the journey. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's born of lots of research. So it's, it's, uh, it's it's going down well. Yeah, <laughs> you know. It's I know. Good. Well, I'm convinced. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm going to buy it when I yeah because it, you know it makes sense because I think it. I guess it's that sort of um, we've talked about this a lot as well in in terms of feminism and in terms of understanding kind of transitions and change in the female experience. You know, there was we were that generation was like yes. okay, um, we've been given a kind of place at the table now just deal with it so it was like right okay you know I must have a career and I must be a good mom um and but no there's no structures or or ways in which that I can achieve that and so I'm going to feel internally less than because I'm I'm doing a bad job at all of it and so this is kind of the next conversation on is going okay now we need to deconstruct all these myths about what it actually means to have you know to be able to be a mother um, mm. within a working world and actually being able to meet our needs and not have our needs um, unmet because um, we're supposed to be doing everything perfectly, which is impossible. <laughs> you know? Well, the, 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 heart of, the heart of the book really is how can, how can I, how can I be a mother and still be me? Yeah. And, and the, the heart of that really is that once we become a mother, we're expected to stop being a person. Mm. We're expected to be of service to others. And if and when they are done, we get to be us. Yeah. And that includes our work. So actually, of course, we all know that as because the stringent standards of motherhood are ever present, we, we rarely get to us. And when we do, it's under certain conditions alcohol is one of those things that is legitimate legitimate in our society to you know crack open something uh neck down some booze um in in response to actually something else which is really lots of women are crying out for themselves they would just want to be you know they want to be in a room being but just leave me be yeah and but and that so the another form of that would be the numbing of alcohol, you know, so that I can escape from where I am because actually I just can't 
get to me. And so for me, my journey was getting to me, allowed me after, you know, I'd already had a a fantastic, you know, or a fantastic um, opportunity with publishers with the first idea that, that, that they wanted me to do. I really, because I wasn't drinking, I was able to really get to the heart of the issue because I had got to me and I couldn't get to me before. Not, not in that same way. It's the clarity for me, the clarity is, it hasn't been scary. It's been not because I haven't had trauma in my life. It's that it's such a win. I Mm. finally can be in a, a, a relationship with myself that's, undiluted that's not scary that's thrilling yeah and I I I mean I resonate so much with that and I think who was it I think it was um Elizabeth um oh my goodness I can't remember who wrote eat pray love uh Elizabeth Gilbert Gilbert. Mm. she did a um because she no longer drinks alcohol and she did a post about just saying you know we need women to be sober to change the world essentially because it is it's a bigger I mean that sounds incredibly lofty but in 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 the sense in actually in the sense of we've been sold um something that keeps us small and keeps us quiet you know Mm. and it's everywhere and it's like just drink that and shut up just Mm. drink that take it as a treat just don't make Mm. you don't you know don't talk don't question um and well, slump, you know, slump in the chair yeah slump in the chair fall out on the bed you know fall down on the bed and, and just be a good girl it's it's a it's another form of good girl um request or or demand from society on women and you know and 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 we've taken it in and and that's with the noise it's the same it's exactly the same we've taken in the noise as if it's a given and it is not a given it's you know we don't have to be fed this shit we can yes (laughs) we don't we don't have to be fed this shit we don't have to take it in we don't have to drink it and we don't have to listen to it we can we can stop it we are in charge it's not in charge of us Mm. and and that's you know but it takes that kind of being surrounded doesn't it by other people or or igniting that I can do it my bloody way uh you know rather than I will bloody drink if I want to mm-hmm. no 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 because that's an undoing of yourself <laughs> you know that that actually will come back to knock you down yeah <laughs> you know no don't yeah. do that one <laughs> yeah and that was I mean that was a key kind of game changer for me sort of bringing in that sort of inner activist element and going actually hang on a second me Mm. being sober is rebellious actually it's not much more you know it's not like oh fuck you all I'm gonna drink if I want to it's like fuck you all I'm not gonna drink (laughs) and let them what's let's see what will happen here um so thank you so much um tell us a little bit about um school of mothers and any plans and projects you have coming up in the future and then we'll, we always finish with your tip of the day and your reason to love sober so yeah tell us a little bit about school of mothers um and what yeah. people can experience sort of in in that space well mostly it's the school for mothers is is a podcast and it's a community of mothers who 
uh, really want more of themselves. So we we amplifying our power. You know, I would say that. So it's difficult to be as powerful as we can be when we're when we're taken down by drink. Actually, and we might feel that little bit of power at the beginning, but it soon goes. Uh, so we don't focus on we don't we don't you know our one of our themes isn't uh being sober for instance but actually a lot of our a lot of our um women are sober i think or have become sober so um so school for mothers is a facebook community we have events we have virtual events we have uh, the podcast uh which has been going for a couple of years two and a half years um and conversations very practical ones very inspirational ones and then also have the School for Fathers podcast. And then my next book is coming out in November. So I guess my biggest, we have loads of free resources, by the way, on School for Mothers. And uh, one of our biggest things that I've got coming out actually is a, is a course, an online short course that is about getting your domestics kind of sorted. And the reason I've put that together is because lots of people have have been uh, asking me so however do you get out in the morning how do you how do you like with all these kids how do you how do you go and do you know how do you go into a boardroom uh, not in pajamas and you know basically all of that childcare, uh how the house works how, how so I've so I've created four scripts because getting our well obviously lots of uh help on that but over the years, I've realized that getting our partners on board and our children and or our children is crucial. Mm. So if we're living in a house where everything is expected for us to be doing it, never more so in the lockdown, has that been obvious? Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh. then, then we are also going to undo our ability to be the powerful women that we are. So uh, that's coming out. But I'm actually actually at the end of just at the tail end of writing uh, my next book so noise came out at the end of March and uh, my next one comes out in November and it would be remiss of me to unpack the uh, kind of or unpack motherhood and actually create a manifesto for motherhood if I didn't look at fatherhood and so Spunk, uh, Manifesto Modernising Fatherhood, comes out in November. And yes, it's um, it. going to be a bit rocking. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm taking fatherhood on. I, you know, if we're going to adjust how we come to motherhood, we have to adjust. We have to look at fatherhood. In the motherhood book, I talk about something called the mother stopper culture we live in a mother stopper culture culture stops mothers it's just as simple as that and I discuss it in the fatherhood book in spunk I talk about the father stunter culture so the way that our culture stunts men's ability or men's willingness whichever you know many people would argue about this but men's you know fathering mm. and, and fatherhood so that's what it is it's a cultural thing it really is a cultural thing it's an individual thing but it's a collective thing it really is 
yeah I love that and so it's much. been it's been interesting because my I mean obviously I'm quite a feminist and I talk to my kids a lot about equality in many different areas of of life and and there became a real issue with my son because he felt hurt and like everything was his own fault like it was just like I can't hold all this responsibility for the patriarchy <laughs> you know I'm 12 um and so we started talking about Aww. it at a different level and you know because there is a lot you know because we were watching it, it started when he was really young and we were looking at um a I won't na- name which one but we were looking at a high street clothes store and all the t-shirts for girls were like you know who changes the world girls like strong girls club all this sort of stuff and he looked at it and he burst mm-hmm. into tears and he was like but what about what about me mummy and so it's like okay well there's a big conversation so you know we'd started this conversation very early on and actually the other day we were talking about how you know the patriarchy doesn't serve men and you know and it was the first mm-hmm. time where he Absolutely. really understood it and he was like I was like because papa you know earns more than me uh, and that's always been the case there was no way that he could be a stay-at-home dad like maybe he wanted to be with you guys but that it just doesn't work like that right now and he was like oh okay yeah you know and he got it because it made it because he's protective of his you know own people which is fair enough um and so yeah I mean great that you've followed it up with that conversation on that side because it's true it's it's not working for anyone where we are right now um and exactly you know and Mm. that kind of toxic masculinity you know having a sensitive boy it it's so evident you know you can see his eyes flitting around like oh if I need to belong with this pack of boys I need to laugh at this stuff but I actually know that I don't want to and I don't like it you know so it's 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 hard being a boy it really is it it is it's very hard yes absolutely it is so yeah and it's and it's and it's interesting as a woman writing about this as well I'm a mother of six sons so um you know it's I care about this. I'm not anti-men. I care about men. I care about boys. Mm. I, I've, you know, deeply. And and the, the the solution is in joining together. It isn't in yeah. uh, you know kind of having having an argument about mothers need mothers need this, but fathers damn them. No, 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 no. It's not yeah. that. So yeah. I was always going to do both. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank so you tip so of the day. much. Tip of the day. Yeah, and your reason to love sober. Oh, goodness me. Do I have a tip of the day? Oh, my goodness. What would it be? Um, wherever you are, wherever you are in your journey, you know, extending, extending as much love as you do to yourself as you do to the person you would would be heartbroken to not love. Then I, I want you to think about that. That's my tip. Self-compassion, self-love like adore yourself, adore yourself. And in all your, you know, imperfection, that's, that's what I love, wherever you are. It's so crucial to be forgiving and adoring. Love it. And, oh, yeah, what's your reason to love sober today? Oh, I mean, my, my, my business, my life, 
has, or oh, I, I was very successful while I drank. I was extremely successful. You know, I was held up as a huge accomplisher. Um, and um, I'd only just started. <laughs> Love it. Um, thank you so much, Danisha. It's been an absolute oh, pleasure. Me. And um, yeah, if yeah, you are listening you. and you are immediately concerned about your drinking, please do reach out, um, go to your GP, send us a message at info at Love Sober. Um, Soberistas has a secret and private um, ask the doctor service. Um, you know, you're not alone. And, you know, it's a brilliant, beautiful journey to start and explore. So, you know, um, we're really grateful for you listening. And we'll see you next week for more chat.